Well, we are on our series um, of, call, uh, of called Impact. My message today is called Committed and Engaged, and I'm really excited to share this message with you. And I want to start with a story this morning, and the story comes from uh, 1519, so it, we're, we're going back a little ways for this. But Spanish conquistador Hernando Cortez has landed in Mexico on the shores of the Yucatan, and he has one objective, and that is to seize what is known to be the greatest treasure on earth. And that treasure is being hoarded by the Aztecs, and they have been uh, setting up a rule that has lasted for 600 years. And so Cortez has convinced and, and he really did, so he, he basically lied to the Spanish government in order to do this, but he, he convinced 500 soldiers and 100 seamen to accompany him on 11 ships from Spain to Mexico with the sole objective of finding a way to take all of that treasure. And so the question is this. How did such a uh, small garrison of soldiers, how were they able to come ashore in a foreign country that had been in power for such a long time and, and, and technology was, was very high in this culture? This was not a simple culture of Indians. This was a very advanced society and, and had been ruling for 600 years. How were, was this small group of people able to come ashore and in a, a very small period of time, overthrow that empire that was noted for its strength and for its riches and for its advancement. Cortez and his group, they disembarked from their ships and they were preparing to infiltrate the Aztec culture and they didn't come in to, to fight against it, to, to take it over um, overtly. They came in to do it covertly okay they did not come with a battle force they just came to infiltrate the culture and just as they were preparing to leave their ships Cortez gave a command that will live forever in history he said to them burn the ships now as you can imagine this met with a certain degree of resistance and negativity okay um, because all of these soldiers and all of these sailors, they understood that those ships were their way to get back home. And so they said to Cortez, they said, why would we want to burn our ships? And if Cortez wouldn't have had an answer, I think it would have been very possible that he would have had a mutiny on his hands, but he was quick to answer. And here's what he said. If we're going home, we're going in their ships. Burn the ships. And at that moment, Cortez was able to take their level of commitment to a whole new level. You see, now they had no choice. It was succeed or die. Their ships were literally aflame in the harbor. There was no way to get back. Their backs were up against the wall. And so against all odds, 
this small group of men conquered the Aztecs and succeeded in what others had been trying to do for hundreds of years. He removed all, he removed failure as an option and he made sure that his men were completely committed. Ken Blanchard says this, there's a difference between interest and commitment. Some of those soldiers were interested in taking the treasure. But there's a difference between being interested and commitment. When you are interested in doing something, you do it only when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. Today, I want to share with you four things that I believe that as the church, we need to understand about commitment. The first one is this. Commitment starts in the heart. Jesus did not come to live in your mind. And I'm sure that your mind is a beautiful thing. Okay, I am. I'm sure it's, it's beautiful. I'm sure it's wonderful there. I'm sure there's lots of great thoughts. I'm sure that there's a lot of great ideas floating around there. But Jesus did not come to live in your mind. Jesus came to take up residence as Lord and Savior about 18 inches below your mind in a place called your heart. Are you with me? That's where Jesus came to rule and to reign. Our hearts play a huge role in the process of being committed and engaged. We tell ourselves things like this. You know what? I'm going to learn to speak a new language this year. Or there's an instrument that I've been dying to learn to play, and I'm going to learn to play that instrument this year. Right? We even go online and we take a couple lessons online. Maybe you sign up for Rosetta Stone. Maybe you Google how to learn to play the, the guitar in six easy steps. And you, you spend, you know, a couple of hours, you know, and, and you're checking it out. But then after a few weeks, the notion begins to fade. Why? You see, that desire, it's, it's not in our heart. To that point, it's only in our head. In order for us to become truly committed, it's got to travel south of our head and get into our heart. But you might say to yourself, well, how does that happen? How can we accomplish that? Well, the Bible talks about the heart. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We need to realize that our desires and our heart are connected. And our desire to watch a movie may be greater than our goal of practicing a language or conquering an instrument. In order to be committed, we may ultimately have to, to, to uh, see that the desires of our heart will be changed. Psalm 37, verse 4, says that we should take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I believe that what that verse also was really telling us that as we begin to delight in the Lord, the desires of our heart will change and become more in line with God's desires. 
And he gives us those desires. And then in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, uh, Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. If we want to begin to accomplish the things that we've had ideas to accomplish, it needs to get into our heart because that's where everything flows out of. That's where we're going to be able to accomplish it when we really have it in our heart. And in order to be committed to something, we, it ultimately has to reach our heart. And if it doesn't get to our heart, it's never going to become a reality. I think we've got a, a, a couple wrestlers that are in the room today. This is a story about a wrestler named Kyle. Kyle was born with something that you and I have not had to face. Kyle was born with no arms or legs. And growing up, Kyle had the desire to be a wrestler. Now, to me, that doesn't take a whole lot of figuring that maybe that's not gonna work. But Kyle convinced his parents to let him go out for the wrestling team in high school. And it's no shock that Kyle wasn't doing very well. In fact, he had lost 35 matches in a row. And people were telling Kyle, hey, listen, a guy with no arms or legs will never win a match in wrestling. And Kyle began to believe that. It began to get into his heart. Even though he had the desire to be a wrestler, what was in his heart was a guy with no arms and legs cannot win at wrestling. He began to believe it. He bought into it. He begged his parents, please let me quit. Now what kind of parents have a boy with no arms or legs who's begging to quit wrestling and we say, nope, that's your commitment. You're going to stick it out. A lot of us, you're like, my dad would have said that. <laughs> Some of you wives are like, honey, you'd say that totally. But they said, no, you, you can't quit. How difficult would that have been to go to those meets day after day? But then midway, midway through his second season, something happened. That was literally unthinkable. Kyle won a match. Kyle says this. It really had nothing to do with the physical side of things. But for a long time, I bought into the belief of other, that other people were telling me that I would never win a match. So I didn't. And after this one victory... Everything changed. Nothing was the same for Kyle ever again. Kyle's last stretch of his high school career, he won 135 matches, and he was the 12th highest rated wrestler in high school in the country. No arms and no legs. But he had believed that you can't do it. Come
commitment begins in the heart. If your heart believes it, it's going to happen. Okay? But if your brain believes it, sorry, your brain is weak. Okay? There's a lot of, like I said earlier, there's a lot of wonderful things floating around in your beautiful mind. Okay? None of them mean anything if it's not here. If it's not here, it's got to get here. Commitment begins in the heart. Number two, this is good. There's notes for you. I'll I'll tell you, this is good. I'm I'm just saying, okay? Commitment follows vision, okay? Commitment follows vision. Proverbs 29, 18 in the King James, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. The word vision is a Hebrew word. It's also translated revelation. In the New International Version, it says where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. So in other words, without a sense of vision, we don't work together to accomplish a mission. Now, as the church, Jesus has left us a mandate that we refer to as the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Go into all the world. Make disciples, teaching them everything that I've commanded you. But Jesus also gave the church something called the great commandment, where he said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These things provide for you and I the ultimate mission as the church. And the vision is the means of carrying out that mission. And every church's vision looks a little bit different based on their giftings. Not every church can have a leadership um, conference and have Madison Gafisen. Now, I suppose if they pony up Madison, I suppose they could probably bring you in. But they don't just have that sitting there. Do you you see what I'm saying? Every church's vision looks different based on the giftings, okay? Not every church has a thrift store because not every church had a Jennifer that said, I want to suggest that our church has a thrift store ministry, and, and, and her pastor didn't even encourage her. She asked me. She said, what do you think the board is asking? They're going to say no. Are you kidding me? This is a terrible idea. I did. I'm honest. I can say that. She didn't let that hinder her. Why? Right here. It was in her heart. Are you with me? Do you see where I'm going? Without a sense of vision, there's no desire to be committed to the mission. In our deacon meetings, I ask our deacons a question at the start of our meetings. I ask them, I say, where do you see the activity of God in our church and in our lives? And they share lots of wonderful things. And at our February meeting, one of our deacons who has young kids said, you know, my youngest uh, came up to me the other day and said, Dad, where's my piggy bank? And Dad said, well... It's wherever they keep it. And she said, I want, I want you to get it. And he said, why? What's going on? And she said, in children's church, we're talking about giving to help children in another country. 
And she said, I want to get my piggy bank. So dad did what dads do. Dad goes and dad takes what dad thinks is an appropriate amount of money out of the piggy bank and says, okay, here you go. You can give it. And daughter says, dad, I want to give it all. I want to give it all. You see, she caught the vision. Commitment follows vision. I wonder if she catches it more than us as adults. Because we're like dad. I'm going to think of an appropriate amount that I should give. <laughs> She's like, burn the ships. <laughs> burn the ships. I'm ta- I'm- Listen. I got to bottle this stuff up from Thursday till now, okay? This is hard. Number three. Boy, the conviction's going to get heavy here. Energy follows commitment. Boy, we're getting real. This is getting real, real fast. In order for us to follow through on any commitment, we need what? We need energy. Okay, come on, let's just get real. Some of us can't commit to clean our house because we don't have the energy. <laughs> you see, you see that? They're not afraid in public to tell you that. We, we, we hold back. Why? That's going to take a lot of my time and a lot of my energy. I, I know I'm not wrong because nobody's shouting me down here. Okay, I know that I'm right. Let me give you an example. Okay, some of you, you work out, and so you have the pre-workout smoothie. Okay, get the, get the energy up, right? Then you have that mid-workout, you know, energy bar. And then you, then you, then you have the post-workout recovery shake. Why? Because if I do this, I'm going to die today and not have enough energy, okay? There's no way that I can do, I can go to work after this, and I can go, and, and after work, I go home, and I have to make dinner for my family. I'm not going to have enough energy. I need to get more energy inside of me so that I can work out. I didn't even realize that all this stuff existed until my daughter, Becca, she's like, I'm like, what do you do? Oh, this is my pre-workout shake, and this is my post-workout recovery. I'm like, wow, I, I didn't realize this. <laughs> Most of us hesitate to make an, a commitment because we lack the energy that's needed, and we know it. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. Right here. In his letter to the Colossian church, Paul writes about his commitment to the vision. He says in Colossians 1.29, he, meaning Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. It's a pretty big vision. Everyone. We're going to teach them all. We're going to see them all be mature. We're going to admonish them. We're proclaiming Jesus to everyone. And he's doing it, okay? 
I want you to follow verse 29. Look at how he's accomplishing it. To this end, I strenuously contend. That's what some of us, it's like for our kids to clean their room. I have to strenuously contend with my child to pick up their room, okay? I have to strenuously contend to get the dishes done. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Drop the mic. That's it. What Paul is saying is, I know it's big vision, but I'm doing it not with my energy, but with the energy that he put in me. Oh, that's amazing. You see, if we get our vision from Jesus, we get our energy, our power, and our strength to do it from him also. Let me say that again. If we get our vision from Jesus, then we're going to get the energy, power, and strength to do it. The Bible tells us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. I think that's enough. I think that's enough. Energy and power and strength. Paul writes to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me what? It sounds to me like it's available for us. It sounds to me like there's enough. The energy that's needed to accomplish the vision, it's not going to come, however, unless there is a commitment to that vision. Energy follows commitment. We're not going to get the energy until we become committed to that mission and to that vision. Once the commitment comes, the strength and the energy will soon follow. But energy always follows commitment. You'll never have the energy first. Number four, action is the ultimate test. Jan Gordon, who's an executive coach, she said this. Commitment exists when our actions meet the expectation of our words. When there's a congruency between intent, words, and action. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. He said, forgetting what is behind and straining toward the goal, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is a man of vision. He's a man of commitment and action. And during his ministry, the gospel spread around the known world because of that commitment. But without action, there is no commitment. Without commitment, there's no energy Without the evidence of commitment, there is no real vision. Action is the evidence. If there is no action, we cannot say that I am committed to this. Because we're not. It's just a beautiful idea that we have in our minds. It's not in our hearts. Because commitment begins in the heart. Commitment follows vision. Energy follows commitment. And action is the ultimate test. I close with this. And I really debated 
on switching my stories from the first one to this one, but I just felt like this was the right story to share. In 1508, the Pope commissioned a young sculptor to paint the ceiling of a chapel in the Vatican. Now, this young painter, or, well, excuse me, he was a sculptor. He had been trained in painting, but he was a sculptor, and he was already famous, okay? His most well-known work was a 17-foot-high sculpture of King David, that is now worth $200 million. The sculptor's name was Michelangelo. And the Pope commissioned him to paint the ceiling in this chapel. And the trick is that the ceiling is curved. And he wanted Michelangelo to paint a picture of the 12 disciples. And Michelangelo tried everything possible to get out of this. He, he literally, he said, man, I, I don't want to do this. But he realized that a lot would be tied up in this. His, his rivals, other, other artists in Europe, they hoped that either he would turn the Pope down and go into the Pope's doghouse or that he would accept the, the, the commission and that he would really do a bad job because really he's a sculptor. And so everybody was really watching this with bated breath. And, and so the, the job was 12, the 12 disciples on the ceiling of the chapel. Michelangelo accepted the commission. But he didn't do what the Pope wanted him to do. Instead of the 12 disciples, he painted nine vignettes from the book of Genesis. In fact, the Pope wanted everything to be from the New Testament, and what he did was basically everything from the Old Testament. In these nine vignettes, there are 400 larger-than-life people featured in those paintings. It took him four years to paint it. He built a special scaffolding. There's, I, I, there's depictions, I guess, in movies of him painting on his back, and historically that's not accurate. He, he built a scaffolding, and, and, but his complaint was because it was a rounded ceiling, he said, I literally feel like my back is bent like in, in half like a snake. I, I literally, my, my, it's like folded in two because of this work. I want you to get this for a second. He permanently damaged his eyesight. Permanently damaged his eyesight. Somebody asked him while he was working there in the chapel, at the, at, at, in the Sistine Chapel, they said, why are you working as hard in this corner where no one can see? as you are out here in the main area where everybody can see. Now, I want you to understand that it's like 30,000 people a day go through the Sistine Chapel. And his answer was this, and this is what I want us to go home with. God will see. God 
will see. Why do we do what we do? With the excellence that we do it. Because God will see. The Bible says that one day we will all stand before God and we will give an account. What will that account be of your commitment to his mission? The mission that he has left the church to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What will he see? Friends, that is the challenge that I want to leave for you and I today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray today for a spirit to come over your church, a spirit of commitment. Father, I pray that that we will be men and women, young people of commitment. Father, instead of instead of just really hesitating all the time and saying, but you know, that's just going to require too much of me. Father, I pray that we will commit ourselves and that the energy of the Holy Spirit will come and fill us and that we will see far more accomplished for your kingdom than we ever imagined. Father, I pray that you will convict us of being too protective of our own energy too protective of our own resources because we're worried that there's not going to be enough when it's all said and done. Father, I pray that your people, that they will be filled with a spirit of commitment and that, Lord, as we are, as we embrace your vision, as we embrace your mission, I pray then and only then that all of the energy, that all of the resources, that all that is needed will infiltrate our lives and we will see that mission accomplished. Before we close our service this morning, I just want to ask you a question based off of what Michelangelo said, God will see What will he see in your heart? What will he see? This is a private moment between no one else. It's just you and the Lord. What will he see? And right now I'm asking the Holy Spirit. I'm asking him to speak into your heart. To ask that question. To reverberate through your mind right now that question. What will he see? And then tell you this, that it doesn't have to be what you might feel it is right now. That we have the ability to make a choice. To say, God, I'm all in. God, I am all in. God, I want to be committed to your mission. I want to be committed to the vision that you have called me to. God, I want to give it all. The same way that little girl said. I want to give it all. 
Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit, as he is speaking to us, as he is literally bouncing those words off our mind, I pray, God, that we will reach out and that we will grab it and not let it keep bouncing, but hold it right there in front of us and say, God, I want you to see commitment. I want you to see commitment in my heart and in my life. And I want to be committed to your mission. I want to be committed to your vision. We're going to close this service. We're going to sing together. We're going to worship the Lord. And I just want you to open your heart and say, God, I am all in. And have it be every area of your life, surrendering it to him. Father, I pray for these people that are here today. I pray that your spirit would be poured out upon them today. God, that we would be a people of commitment, I pray. In Jesus' name.